Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. This is Tony Jones. I'm the Reverend Hunter. Joined as always by the Paul Schaefer to my David Letterman, Brandon. That's where it's at. That one I really like. That's a good <laughs> one right there. I mean, all I have to do is kind of laugh every once in a while to repeat what you just said, right? And maybe point my finger. And be a brilliant musician. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, can't take all of those things. You know... I've been watching this CNN documentary on the the late night wars, and it's just such a Gen Xer dream to like read about when I remember when Johnny Carson retired. I remember my parents watching Johnny Carson every night, and my grandparents, and then Carson retired, and Leno got it instead of Letterman, and Letterman moved to CBS, and I just I don't know. I I don't watch late night TV now except. You know, the occasional YouTube clip that gets served up to me. But um the whole like the craziness of Letterman I I so vividly remember. So yeah, Paul Schaefer and David Letterman have a little warm spot in my heart. Yeah, they're, they're, it was pretty much my favorite uh, late night talk show was Letterman uh, growing up as a kid. And I've watched all the late night war stuff, especially with the Conan and Leno thing. Too, oh, right. Later on. Yeah. So, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I'm a big fan of Conan's podcast too. And did you see that Conan's moving to HBO Max? He's leaving. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's big. So, I'm I'm a fan of him. I actually I watch his show regularly on on YouTube and whatnot. So same. Little disappointment here, but I mean he's still going to be around, so we got that. Well, but you're you know what they're trying to get you to do is shell. I don't know. You you know each of us we have to make these decisions, right? Like, what are you going to pay for? We pay for. We pay for Amazon Prime and Netflix. We have occasionally paid for HBO Max and Hulu, although we currently aren't. And I got a year free of Apple TV Plus with a new iPhone. So I don't know. HBO Max, that would be like the one I would add probably to the to, to the list of things I pay for every month. Well, with the original programming that HBO has too, it's, it's yeah. worth it in that regard. And there's great stuff on it. Yeah, exactly. Like I've never watched Game of Thrones and I think I could go back and watch the whole thing and you know, that would take me a year, you know. Yeah. So maybe. Maybe. Well, hey, man, you um, are about to go on vacation. And look, I don't know if listeners understand. I hope people like boogie around the, the Talk North podcast network and see all the podcasts and they're being you know there's podcasts being added all the time and people can obviously follow the network on instagram or uh, twitter to see you know updates of of the all the episodes you're dropping but man you i don't think people understand you produce all of them yeah, all 16, 17 of them, something like that. <laughs> so Dang. yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. This is my uh, first vacation in probably like six years. <laughs> well, tell us what you're going to do. So I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to Washington. I wanted to go to the most outdoorsy type of place I could possibly get Sweet. to. So yeah, I'm going to be, uh, we're staying on the Skykomish River for a few days, uh, uh-huh. which is just going to be absolutely beautiful. Then hit up the Cascade Mountains and just kind of, 
just kind of be outside for at least a week in Washington and not think about uh, work. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you driving out there? Yep, we're driving. We're, it's, it's, it's about a 25-hour drive. Oh, I've done it. It's, I've, I know. It's not that bad. You know, I, I, always, I have a trick. I like to leave in the evening. I like to leave at like 6, 7 in the evening and drive overnight on the first leg of the trip. Dude. Then then that way, you, you know, you can take a rest at like a rest stop in the morning if you need it. But then you've already got half, not half, but a big part of your trip taken care of overnight. And then the next day you can just kind of relax and see everything and take it easy. Yeah, I used to do that when I was in my 20s. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I haven't done it since I was in my 20s, so we'll see how it works. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. So you can take the dog if you're driving. Yep, we're, that's that's the main reason. We're taking the yeah. dog. My dog's, I think, 15 or 16. So wow. we thought uh, we'd take him across country. You know, he's getting older, so... He must be pretty chill in the car at, at that age. Yeah, he's. He, yeah, he, you would think so, but no, he's. Uh, he acts like a three-year-old dog. Really? Yeah, I've never seen an old dog uh, with as much energy and bounce as this guy's got. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, so you're gonna? Are you gonna be tent camping or what? Combo of the both. So it's my first time ever. We did an Airbnb, is what we're getting for the first part. You know, gotta gotta mm -hmm. have a cool cabin in the woods. Um, but yeah. then we're going to be tent camping the rest of the time. Um, just, just kind of finding places in state parks, state forests or national parks, national forests, and just kind of going from there. And do you do like a Coleman cooking stove or how do you, when, yep. when you're tent camping, is that, that your setup? Yep. I do that. And then I, you know, cook over the fire, but yeah, I just have a, have oh, a yeah. little two burner, uh, propane grill that uh, works for everything, which is uh, awesome. And uh, yeah, just kind of roughing it. It's a simple tent. It's nothing fancy, you know, laying on the ground sort of a bit. But I assume you're, are you going out there with like a cooler? You're going to have a cooler full of food? Because what if I got you some uh, pheasant or venison brats before you head out there? That, that I, I would absolutely love that. That's exactly how we're going to be traveling is we're going to have a cooler full of uh, meats, buns, and all that other stuff that you can cook nice. over a fire. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey man, uh, uh, not to change subject, but you yeah. just you went turkey hunting. I've been turkey hunting. <laughs> well, I've been in the middle of this big kitchen remodel, which has been extraordinarily time consuming and money consuming. But uh, it's been it's really exciting too because we've completely transformed like the main level of our house, or we're we're in the midst of it. We haven't finished yet, but uh, so I haven't been turkey hunting as much as I would have liked. In fact, I didn't even buy a license till last weekend, which was the penultimate weekend of the turkey season. So, dude, here's th this is like such a quintessential turkey hunting story. I heard from a neighbor that there was a big tom turkey. So, people who don't hunt regularly, um, there's basically, you'll hear three different terms when you hear people talk about turkeys. There's a hen, which is any female turkey. Then there's a jake, which is an immature uh, male turkey. That means a, a male turkey that was born this spring. So, you know, it's, or I mean, sorry, sorry. Well, yeah, this spring. I mean, you, you'd see it. That's right. It would be this spring. So that turkey might be just a few months old. Um, or you'll have a tom turkey, which will be a big, big turkey, a male that's like a year old, year plus. And um, how they usually, Jake's, the, when you see turkeys together, there'll just be one tom. 
and they'll have maybe multiple hens, and then they'll have jakes following them around as well. So they're kind of an interesting pack animal. It's not unlike deer. You usually won't see like multiple big bucks next to each other. There'll be one big buck that has a territory, and it's the same with tom turkeys, and they do fight each other over territory and stuff like that. So my neighbor told me he'd been seeing a tom turkey out in a field, uh, nearby our land in central Minnesota. And I was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll buy a license. I'm going up there for the weekend. I went out Saturday morning and I set up on the edge of the field in our land. And the Tom came out into the field. This is like a planted cornfield at about 645 in the morning. And completely ignored my calling and whatever. And I couldn't even, I mean, he was probably 500 yards away. I couldn't even get close to him. So I texted the guy who owns the farm and I said, Hey, there's this Tom out in your field. Would it be okay if I hunted over your field tomorrow morning, Sunday morning? And he said, yeah, go for it. Good luck. So I figured, well, he came into the field at 645 in the morning. I'll get there at 530. So Sunday morning, I go out at 530 in the morning. And I get out of my truck uh, with my gun and my turkey decoys and stuff. That freaking turkey is already in the field at 5.30 before sunrise, which is just weird. Like turkeys don't usually come out of the roost until sunrise. Usually when the sun hits the top of the trees where they're roosting, that's when they'll fly down a lot of times. Out in the field, strutting around, gobbling, fanned out. It's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So I go out in the field and he runs into the woods and I figure, well, he's going to come back. So I set up right where he ran into the woods, put the decoys out, hid myself, just mosquitoes everywhere. You know, it's hot, it's humid, nasty and weird weather. He comes back out into the field like another three or 400 yards north of where I was. And I'm like, okay, well, he's going to, at this time of the year, the, the conventional wisdom is, most of the hens are already on their nests and this turkey is going to, you know, is out looking for any lonely hens who have not yet, um, you know, been mated with and have not yet like nested. So he's, uh, he comes back out, he's strutting, doing his thing and I'm calling, I got my hen decoy out, calling a hen call. He's not at all interested, not at all. I am like, what the heck? Well, then I see why, because at about 6.45, three hens come across the highway, walk all the way across the cornfield, right to this tom, and hang out with the tom for about half an hour, and then just like slowly meander back into the woods. (laughs) So he had his hens... (laughs) He didn't need my hen. It was no. like, it's killing me. <laughs> well, at least you got to see some turkeys. <laughs> no, man. I, I've been turkey hunting for 10 years, and I've never shot a dang turkey. Have, have you I'm gonna, fired at a turkey? No. Wow. <laughs> I mean, if you take a shot at a turkey, you should hit, you're it. Pretty, you, you should hit it because they're like kind of like a deer you wouldn't take the shot unless you really knew you were going to fatally wound the turkey um and they're not it's not like a duck or a pheasant where they're flying and they're moving you know you miss you miss an, uh, birds that are flying and on the move but you probably you shouldn't shoot a turkey unless you're 
really convinced it's going to be a fatal shot. Same with a deer. So I'm going out again this weekend, man, <laughs> and I'll check in with you, you know, before your vacation and let you know if if I actually shoot this time or not. I'm going out for a couple more times, but I, I my my hopes aren't super high. Well, you got to get your money's worth. I mean, you bought the license. You got to Yeah, it's like I make this tw- I make this $26 donation to the Minnesota DNR every year when I buy a turkey license. Well, they they do appreciate your donation. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they're very <laughs> grateful. They that according to everything I'm reading actually, the turkey harvest is down this year. Um maybe cuz it was so high last year cuz of COVID, a lot of people went turkey hunting and maybe all those hunters kind of thinned out the turkey numbers. Um but the turkey success rate this year is under 20% for hunters. So, uh, you know, like I'm in the 80% of the people who have not yet shot a turkey. Well, it's good to be in the majority then. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And then I'm headed to the Boundary Waters uh, in a couple weeks with a group of seminary students whom I am teaching for a three-year Doctor of Ministry program. And... uh yeah, very much looking forward to being back in the Boundary Waters. And I'm a little anxious about the numbers that I'm hearing because I've read that they've already sold over 10,000 permits uh, for entry into the Boundary Waters, which yeah. is way above the normal rate at this time. Yeah, I've, uh, some of the other shows I've been working on, they've actually kind of dived into that. And the the anywhere in northern Minnesota is just crazy this year because the border is still sealed. So yeah. you know everybody in there, everybody's getting outside because of the pandemic last year and whatnot. But just the fact that you can't go into Canada is is just making it really really busy up there. And what are those other shows saying about? I mean, I, my worry is that we're going to struggle to find uh, available campsites. And stuff like that. I mean, part of the reason you go into the Boundary Waters is to be alone and not see a lot of other people. And I'm just worried that, like, we're going to get out there and struggle to find an, an op- open campsite. That's probably going to be the case, too. I mean, yeah. the the numbers are at record paces. I mean, even resorts up in northern Minnesota right now are just doing gangbusters for numbers, like some of their highest totals they've ever had in history. So yeah. it's 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 going to be a fight for for a little bit of solitude up up in northern Minnesota. Yeah, and it's funny because when I come out of the Boundary Waters, I always like to spend a night in Grand Marais on the way out. Um, Like my usual deal is we'll drive up. We'll drive up on Monday, have lunch in Duluth. uh, We'll stop in Grand Marais um, mid-afternoon for supplies, and then we'll drive up the Gunflint Trail and spend the night at the Outfitters, and then first thing Tuesday morning, like want to be on the water before nine, and so they'll truck us up. You know, we'll get up at six thirty, head out up the trail, get on the water. Maybe come, whenever we come off the water, you know, we're this trip we're coming off the water on Saturday. We're spending four nights um, in the Boundary Waters, and then I like to then you know you clean the gear, whatever. And I don't want to drive after four days in the Boundary Waters. I want to like go to Voyager Brewing, have a couple pints, you know, sit in the hot tub at the hotel, that kind of thing. But now every hotel in Grand Marais is requiring a two-night stay. Yep. And and like a month and a half <laughs> booking. Oh yeah, it's it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we actually it's it's funny too. Even just looking for spots to go on vacation. Um, we're going to Washington, obviously, and you know you have the Canadian border up there. Going to Vancouver yep. would be nice, but 
we had a hard time finding places to even like rent out for an Airbnb just for a couple nights. Everything is just booked anywhere oh, near any northern part of the United States. Yeah. So it's 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 going to be a fight, but you know the thing is at least with the boundary waters, you're you're guaranteed a little bit of solitude at one point. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're not yeah. going to be like it's not going to be like a college party following you behind. At least the people that go up there are generally trying to look for the same thing as you are. So you know, it'll be good in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, of course, there will be solitude and there, you know, we won't have cell coverage and some of the things there'll be black flies and mosquitoes. So we can be guaranteed it'll get too hot. It'll be freezing cold. It'll rain. You know, you'll have we'll miserable students. Yeah, we'll have high winds. Everybody will get to know each other better. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll be super fun, but it's just going to be an interesting experience. Um you know, trying to figure out how we manage if if we're paddling around uh, Big Sag and we come at, you know, every campsite is full. So I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out like I'm thinking I'm, I usually don't pack in binoculars, but I think I might carry binoculars so that I can look across the lake and see if a campsite is taken or not before, you know, because you could be on one side of a lake and there's a campsite and it's a half hour paddle to get to it. And if you paddle for half an hour and you know, you're halfway there and then you see, Oh, there's two canoes dragged up on shore. That site is already taken. You know, it, it that's why I'm thinking I might bring some binos. I'm just trying to t- kind of troubleshoot how we're going to manage it. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, at least to look ahead, but what do you do? Like, I mean, there's gotta be a certain point in your day where you just have to say, we got to stop. We got to camp. What do you do? Like, is there a certain cutoff time that you kind of put in your head or something like that for, you just can't look anymore. Cause if you're canoeing a half hour to get to one place, I can only imagine how much longer it takes to get to the next place. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I actually have never had to, uh, like bushwhack a campsite and it's actually not allowed in the boundary waters. You have to stay at an official campsite that has a U.S. Forest Service fire grate and has a biffy. Um, and they're all marked on the maps, the kind of maps I, I use and stuff. Uh, but I mean, what's tricky. Yeah. Okay. So here's one example that happened a couple years ago to me. We were on a lake and we, you know, I like to be in camp for sure by two. So I like to be on the water paddling before nine and then sometime between noon and two stop and get set up. Like, I don't even really want to stop for lunch. We can have lunch at two and then everybody can take a nap, go fishing, read a book. If you're still paddling at four or five, you're going to really struggle to find a campsite, I think. So we got, we, we went down this lake very popular lake called Rose, Rose Lake. And man, every site was full. We got to the end of the lake and the last site was full. And so we were faced with a dilemma of either at the, at the east end of that lake, there's a very long portage called Long Portage. And so it's toward the end of the day and we're faced with a very long portage to get to another lake that only has two campsites on it. Or basically breaking the rules and paddling north across the lake to the Canadian side of the lake and staying at a Canadian site, which we're not, you're not allowed to do unless you have a 
remote border crossing permit and you pay the Quetico fee like you pay the Boundary Waters fee, et cetera. But, you know, what are you going to do? Right. Well, so we got to the last site and there were these uh, college kids there from a YMCA camp up, up up in the Boundary Waters. We're like, oh, crap. And so they were like, yeah, we're staying, we're staying. So we paddled out a little bit into the lake and start looking at our maps and trying to decide what we're going to do. We've we're kind of got this fork in the road of Long Portage versus Canada. And then we hear them call out from shore, hey, hey, we're, we decided we're going to leave. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We, they, <laughs> they decided right there that they were going to leave their site. It was probably two or three in the afternoon. And it was the last sight on the lake. We're like, oh, thank you. Thank you. So they start getting their stuff um, geared up. And we just stand with our canoes like knee deep in the water waiting for them to vacate the campsite, which, you know, takes some time to pack everything up and get in the canoes and whatever. And then um, as they're pulling out and we're pulling our canoes up on shore, they yell, hey, beware of the porcupine. (laughs) (laughs) there's always a caveat yeah so it was a crappy site it was not a very good campsite it was buggy there was a porcupine which we never saw thankfully um and which bummed me out because i you know i brought my dog crosby was on that trip and the last thing you want is your dog to get in a mess with a porcupine in the boundary waters and it actually that site the border route a hiking trail goes right through that campsite. (laughs) So we probably had half a dozen hikers walk like literally like between our tents while we're sitting there cooking or whatever. Um, And I hit my head on a log hard. And it like, yeah, there's pictures. And I, that was a, a trip I did for the star tribune. You can see pictures of like this huge contusion on my head from when I hit my freaking bald head on a, <laughs> on a Sounds log like a fun trip. Sounds like a real it, fun trip. It was a great trip, but that night was a low point sure. for sure. Isn't um, it kind of the beauty of trips though? Or, or yeah, just any camping or outdoor experience that worse, that bad night ends up kind of like solidifying everything. It yeah. Makes, it yeah. makes all the, all the highlights that much more of a highlight. So you kind of have to have that little. Well, it's true, and and the fact that I was writing this up for the Star Tribune, it gave it, you know it made for a fun, like episode in that series, uh, which people can find it if you just go to StarTribune.com/slash/bwca. You can see that entire series that I wrote called Boundary Waters Passage, um, and uh, you'll see my head contusion. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you're bored today. <laughs> yeah, I hope to avoid that, but, um, well, Brandon, I'm glad you're getting away. Um, we've got some good guests lined up for the month of June. Um, I, I'm going to have on my friend, Chris Estes, who he is hiking the Appalachian trail this summer and he is the, uh, licensed, uh, Licensed Methodist chaplain to the Appalachian Trail. That is an interesting job. Yeah, the Methodist Church has hired him to be the, he's calling himself the Chapalachian. Uh, <laughs> people can find his YouTube videos, but we'll have him on. We're going to kind of do a before and after. So we're going to, he's just started on the AT. We're going to have him on 
and then we'll have him on again in the fall after he's completed the entire AT and get his um, reflections. And uh, I've got uh, hopefully Mary Stang, who's or Stange. I actually don't know how to pronounce her last name, but I'm sure she'll tell me. She wrote a book called Woman the Hunter, and she is known as one of the experts on female hunting in um, you know, pre-industrial society, and she's a hunter herself in the state of Montana. Uh, so yeah, we got some fun stuff lined up. It's going to be good stuff, and you and I are both going to be outdoors. So here's to June. Here's to June. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate your support. We would love it if you subscribe, rate, review. Um, that all really helps. I, wouldn't you say, Brandon, especially writing reviews like on Apple Podcast app is really helpful? That's that's one of the most helpful things people can do is even just giving it a simple star rating. But if you add that just little couple word uh, review, it helps yeah. so much. It puts us up in a, towards the top of the search. Yeah, I really I would love it. And and if anybody wants to jump in as a sponsor, we're always looking for sponsors who support the Reverend Hunter podcast and the kind of conversations we like to have. Um so, you know, reach out and let us know if you're interested. But otherwise, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you just it whether you're listening to this on on the 5th Monday, Memorial Day or the uh, you know, the days following, I hope you had a great Memorial Day with family and friends and you were able to grill something and that you're fully vaccinated and you can hug your family again. 